everyone. Thanks for tuning in to the ANPT Stroke Special Interest Group Podcast. Today we are joined by Dr. Dilip Aryavagal, MD, FAHA, FAAN, FSVIN. Dr. Yavagal is the Director of Interventional Neurology and Co-Director of Neuroendovascular Surgery at the University of Miami and Jackson Memorial Hospitals. He is also a Clinical Professor of Neurology and Neurosurgery at the University of Miami School of Medicine. Dr. Yavagal is the Founder and Global Chair of the Mission Thrombectomy 2020 Plus Global Campaign to accelerate access to stroke thrombectomy worldwide and reduce regional disparities in thrombectomy capacity. Dr. Yavagal is an international thought leader in endovascular therapy for ischemic and hemorrhagic stroke, as well as a pioneer in the translation of intraarterial delivery of cell therapy for stroke. He's the co-founder and past president of the Society for Vascular and Interventional Neurology. Today, we will be discussing with him the surgical procedure mechanical thrombectomy for acute onset ischemic stroke. TPA, tissue plasminogen activator, which can be administered intravenously within the first three hours of symptom onset, can also be used in this scenario. Today we will learn from Dr. Yabagal about this procedure and its outcomes related to stroke to better understand how these acute interventions will impact our patient's progress in rehab. Jackie, uh, thank you so much. It's really a pleasure and an honor to join you on your podcast. So let's start off talking about what exactly is mechanical thrombectomy. Mechanical thrombectomy is the um, standard of care treatment that got approved in 2015 for the most severe type of stroke called a large vessel occlusion stroke. And this is uh, one of the most powerful uh, treatments in medicine now in terms of the benefit it affords uh, with a, with a uh, high degree of safety to stroke patients in the emergency time window that helps um, restore their function uh, and, and uh, basically makes them independent uh, from the deficits that, that a stroke causes. Uh, what mechanical thrombectomy uh, involves is a minimally invasive surgery done with catheters. The uh, most severe type of stroke um, th- that, that is uh, the commonest type of stroke uh, is a uh, large artery in the brain getting blocked uh, with a clot that either comes uh, from the heart or one of your arteries uh, and and shoots up like a bullet and blocks uh, one of the arteries in the brain that supplies either the uh, right or the left side or the front or the back. And that leads to a, an abrupt cutoff of blood supply and, and hence glucose and oxygen to that part of the brain, which stops functioning. And that's why the person gets paralyzed. That cutoff of blood supply and lack of oxygen and glucose uh, ultimately uh, over minutes to hours leads to death of the brain tissue in that territory. What mechanical thrombectomy does is uh, it allows us, the uh, thrombectomy experts, to uh, go from either the wrist or the groin artery 
with a, a very long catheter system using multiple catheters to uh, snake our way all the way up into the blocked artery in the brain using um, specialized x-ray equipment called angiography suites and uh, using uh, one of two main devices, either a suction tube or a, uh, a stent that acts like a fishing net uh, and often in combination, engage that clot and, and pull it out. And that uh, restores the blood supply to the part of the brain and hence uh, stops the process of uh, the brain tissue dying in its tracks. And that uh, when done before 24 hours uh, from symptom onset, or I should say within 24 hours from symptom onset has been now shown very convincingly to restore function, restore uh, function to uh, the point of the person being completely independent in 50% in or more of patients. We can open the artery uh, almost fully in, in about um, 70 to 80% of patients. And that results in, in about 50 to 60% of patients being um, independent and not needing any assistance uh, at, at three months from stroke. So that in a nutshell is the mechanical thrombectomy surgery for stroke. And the way to think about how powerful it is, uh, is to know the number needed to treat. So uh, one would have to treat uh, two and a half patients, and this is because of statistics, to get one person completely independent. And just for a comparison, uh, many, most treatments in medicine need you to treat, you know, 20, 30 patients to have one uh, good outcome, except for like antibiotics or, or, or therapies like that. So, so really this uh, turned out once we uh, did the research on, on, on the treatment to be extremely powerful and beneficial. So I know you mentioned that the surgery can be done within 24 hours. So that is the same time frame that we're thinking about when we think about TPA and three hours. So for this procedure, it can be, be done 24 hours after symptom onset? Correct. So once the stroke symptoms begin, you have up to 24 hours. But what I should also mention is that the um, outcomes or, or the chances of being independent are highly time sensitive, especially early on. Uh, so there is something that we define as the early window, which is up to six hours. And it's defined as such because that seems to be the time where most people uh, could benefit from, so, uh, from thrombectomy. After six hours, we have to use a special imaging exam uh, tests to choose only those patients that have a brain still to save after that time point. So the uh, way the brain stays alive is using uh, what we call collateral blood supply from arteries that are still open and are getting to that part, you know, getting blood to that part, especially at its periphery. And those uh, collaterals fail over time. 
So that's why this therapy is highly time sensitive. And, and so even within those 24 hours, it is critical to really get treated as soon as possible to get the best chance uh, of, of a good outcome. But it can be done after the 24 hours, but that six hour frame seems to be the most effective from what you're saying. Correct. Now, it would be misleading to say that six to 24 hours is not effective because when you look at the trial results, even in the six to 24 hour window, the number needed to treat is, is still two and a half. So it's still very powerful in the six to 24 hour window, but you end up excluding a number of patients using the uh, special imaging. Uh, it's called a CAT scan perfusion. And so in order to have the maximum chance of being included for this treatment, the six hour window is the best. Is there an overlap with TPA? And would you ever use TPA and mechanical thrombectomy together? And why would you choose one over the other? That's a, a great question. So the uh, six hour window actually is with TPA. In other words, we, we give the TPA and we bring the patient to the angiography suite uh, unless they are ineligible for TPA because of anticoagulation or because they had recent surgery and stuff like that. But otherwise, uh, the treatments are combined uh, by, by standard of care. And beyond the four and a half hour window, obviously, we can't use TPA anymore. So we just uh, do, do thrombectomy. Certainly in the late window, six to 24 hours, uh, you know, we can't use TPA. That may change. There are new studies that are showing that in selected patients, TPA can begin up to uh, nine hours. And that, you know, may end up leading us to combination uh, therapy. But certainly we don't necessarily choose one over the other. We uh, combine them and we can. So most of the time you are using both. It's, if it's in that time frame, that would allow so. What happens is that uh, the, uh, the TPA is given through the vein, and when the large arteries are blocked, the amount of clot is quite high, and, and TPA ends up opening or busting that clot only in about 10 to 20% of patients. And we don't know who those 10 to 25% of patients mm -hmm. are up front, so we want uh, everyone to get that chance and uh, then, you know, without wasting any time, take them to the angiography suite. And if the clot is still there, take it out. Got there it. are also some indicators that the, uh, the clot busting medication may soften the clot and help the thrombectomy procedure. So, so that, that's how we end up combining it. What might be side effects of mechanical thrombectomy if it is not successful? And what is the chance of death and bleed with mechanical thrombectomy compared to TPA? The main side effect of thrombectomy is bleeding in the brain. And that rate is as low as one to 2% in, in several studies, uh, up to a maximum of about 6% of what we call symptomatic bleeding. The um, reason we use the adjective symptomatic is that there are bleeds that are spotty and, you know, minimal and they don't cause any symptoms when we uh, get blood back into the area that, that was uh, not getting blood before. But in about three to six percent of patients, uh, that bleeding is excessive and actually causes a worsening of the patient's paralysis. So that rate of three to six percent really is very reassuring because 
uh, without thrombectomy, uh, the, the, the person would have almost a 60-70% chance of being disabled for the rest of their lives. So for that benefit, you know, that, that rate of uh, bleeding is, is quite uh, reasonably low. Uh, and it happens because uh, when you reopen blood supply to the uh, part of the brain that was suffering from uh, lack of uh, blood flow, the, um, it's like a dry earth phenomena where you put water back in dry earth and the earth can crack. That's a simple way of thinking about it. And that, that's when bleeding can occur. But thankfully, it happens only in 3 to 6% of patients. Okay. As far as a death goes... Uh, it seems to mainly occur in those patients who don't improve and, and the um, mortality rate is as low as uh, 10% uh, and it does go up with age to, to up to 20%. Uh, but there is actually a mortality benefit. In other words, this procedure is also life-saving by um, likely by saving brain. Uh, so, you know, that prevents brain swelling and, um, and death. So the procedure uh, can lead to death because of a big bleed uh, mm -hmm. in the brain. But again, as I said, that uh, thankfully occurs at a very low rate. As physical therapists, we are focused on returning function and getting people moving in a hospital setting. Are there mobility concerns after this treatment? Blood pressure, chance of bleed, along these lines, do we have to hold off on mobility for a certain time frame as we do with TPA? So typically the patient is in the ICU for one to two days, uh, sometimes longer if they haven't started improving in their function. Uh, but really the therapy by itself, except for the first six hours uh, where we uh, would want the patient to be immobilized if we have gone through the groin, there is really no restriction that the therapy brings on because you know we've um, gone into the artery in the brain uh, and, and open it up, and that doesn't really preclude uh, physical therapy. Uh, so I would say bottom line is within two or three days, uh, mobilization would be good and safe. So you would need to be immobilized for a little bit because of the nature of the surgery, because the groin is being used is what you're saying, and you would have to wait two to three days to do therapy? So, so no, uh, just strictly from the groin puncture standpoint, you only need to be immobilized for six hours at the most. Okay. Uh, because that's when the uh, clot, you know, stabilizes in the groin site and, you know, you don't have the danger of the groin art, the femoral artery uh, re-bleeding on you. But because these patients are otherwise sick, you know, they've just had a stroke and they have some uh, blood pressure liability, they, they are not, um, you know, maintaining possibly that well, just overall, I would say that it's typical for patients to not be immobilized. I don't want to use that word, but be in bed for a couple of days. I'm talking about the minimum. If the patient doesn't improve in their paralysis, uh, you know, starts getting complications, then that may get prolonged. But I think uh, at a minimum, most patients are in bed for a couple of days. Just because of their because of how they're feeling, but if a patient was feeling okay, they could, in theory, participate in therapy. Totally, right? totally. They, they, they could totally participate in therapy. There would be no clinical contraindications. Got it. It seems that the data is conflicting when it comes to the success of mechanical thrombectomy with patients with minimal pre-stroke disability 
as compared to moderate pre-stroke disability. As per your knowledge, are there demographics or characteristics people have that would lead to worse outcomes when receiving mechanical thrombectomy or mechanical thrombectomy and TPA together? Also, can you speak in terms of pre and post-stroke modified ranking score when discussing this? As a reminder to everyone, the modified ranking score is zero to six and has a higher score, and a higher score would indicate worse patient status. Great question. So all the trials, the randomized controlled trials, required the patient to have a baseline uh, MRS score of zero or one at, at, at the most. Patients above score one were excluded from these trials. So we really are still going, uh, or, or we still rely on re retrospective data on uh, patients who have a higher pre-stroke disability. The data are not really conflicting. There is just prospective and robust data for minimal pre-stroke disability, which is zero to one, where you know we know that uh, thrombectomy can lead to a, uh, a zero to two MRS outcome three months in 50 to 60% of cases. Whereas if a person has a higher uh, disability at baseline, you know, two or three, and certainly if they are getting close to four, then their chances of being independent, you know, just by uh, logic are, are lower because they already have a pre-stroke disability. On the other hand, there is uh, data retrospectively that we can at least return them to the baseline in a good number of, uh, in a good percentage of patients. So I would say that uh, at our center, we will take a MRS2 or even an MRS3 unless it's, you know, dementia that, that is really uh, uh, interfering with their quality of life because we certainly know that we can't reverse that. But otherwise, we will take someone with an MRS of two or even three if, you know, all the other criteria are met to at least bring them back to that to MRS two or three because when they present they are an MRS of you know four or five mm -hmm. uh, with their severe paralysis. That's uh, how we make the uh, call about mm -hmm. uh, offering uh, thrombectomy to someone who has a uh, a moderate uh, pre-stroke disability. So, in terms of hypertension, would there be a parameter that would make this intervention unwise for somebody. I know that would make that would mean that you would have information prior for them because it's likely that their hypertension, their blood pressure is going to be high at the time. So it would get to somebody that you have information on. But would you say that somebody who has uncontrolled hypertension or a past medical history of pretty high hypertension would be not applicable? No. So so we really don't have a contraindication. Uh, uh, from a blood pressure standpoint, uh, obviously we will start them on uh, IV antihypertensives mm -hmm. to, to get the blood pressure to below 180 typically. And then after we reperfuse, we, we try to get it down even below 140, sometimes 130, depending on where the blockage was, so that we decrease the chances of bleeding, um, what we call reperfusion bleeding. But just the uh, hypertension itself even if it's uncontrolled, does not preclude them from getting the surgery or benefiting from it as long as we, you know, control the blood pressure during and after surgery. 
Is there any point we didn't cover about mechanical thrombectomy that you feel would affect how physical therapists in the acute setting treat a patient that had this intervention done to them? I think the biggest point about mechanical thrombectomy is access to thrombectomy uh, in the U.S. and, and outside the U.S. And the reason is that it's such a big change in stroke treatment. Uh, it's like suddenly uh, never having telephones and then you get a telephone service uh, and, and mo more than 90% of the people don't know about it, that you can actually have a reversal of paralysis if call 911 in time and get to a thrombectomy center in time, which you know the EMS uh, are, are uh, very well educated now on it. Uh, so even though PTs don't participate in access, you, you um, guys obviously take care of the patient afterwards. I think there is still a um, pretty big role that PTs can play about educating the patient's families and anyone else who may be at risk for stroke, uh, which essentially all of us are, you know, one in five people mm -hmm. will suffer a stroke in their lifetime. So, so I think just really spreading the word about this, uh, the availability of this powerful treatment and that stroke is now curable if, if the right um, treatment is sought within 24 hours is a big part that all of us need to play, including physical therapists. And, and the only other thing I would say is that when we reperfuse, the brain likely recovers better, you know, in general. And um, that could very well play, uh, have an interaction with rehab. And, and I'm not a rehab expert, but on the other hand, I think uh, it would be very interesting to see if uh, the treatments that, that PTs provide to stroke patients have higher efficacy in reperfused patients versus, you know, uh, less reperfused patients. Obviously, you would have to take out the confounding effect of the reperfusion itself. Mm -hmm. But uh, certainly, I think because the neurons in the penumbra and the brain tissue in the penumbra is salvaged by thrombectomy, it, it only makes sense that the recovery could be, could be better with physical therapy. Yeah, I agree. And I, in terms of education, I think it is important for us to be educating pa patients and their family that time is of the essence if they're having stroke-like symptoms. Since I've had patients that have said, oh, I was feeling this, I was feeling this, and I, but I waited. And then it became a point where these interventions weren't, well, I know at least TPA wasn't an option. So I think it's important to let people know about this because I've definitely seen more than one person that doesn't know the time constraint. Yeah, no, and that's really the uh, case because first of all, stroke is not painful in the vast majority of cases. And secondly, uh, it impairs the very organ that, that helps you sense danger. And the first reaction is to sort of neglect that symptom because your danger sensing organ is itself impaired. Yeah, and that's the big challenge that the uh, system has to overcome the stroke mm -hmm. system of right. care. I, didn't, I never thought of it like that, but it makes it even more important for family members to know what might be happening, exactly. even that fact maybe. What do you see coming in the future of medical treatment of stroke? That's a great question. And um, 
I have to start with saying that, you know, those of us in the stroke field have gotten highly encouraged by the success of, of thrombectomy. And there is a lot more interest in developing even more therapies for stroke, because even though we are able to get 50 to 60% of patients on their feet, there is still 40% uh, to 50% of patients who remain a severe, you know, disabled, uh, needing assistance for decades, uh, or of course die. Um, so newer therapies are still very much needed, and a number of approaches, including you know, improving these uh, devices that uh, will will help us uh, get the clots out even faster. Because uh, as I mentioned, the faster you reperfuse the brain, the higher your chances of being independent. So the devices are iterating, but then quite exciting for me is uh, all the, uh, what we call adjunctive therapies or, or additive therapies. And one of them that I work on uh, are, are stem cells uh, that are uh, from adults. So they are from bone marrow or, or adipose tissue or fat tissue and some other sources that can be given actually through the catheter uh, into the stroke area, which is my research, uh, or just through simply through a vein uh, to improve that recovery that we talked about. And so to, uh, because these cells have uh, uh, biological properties that are uh, quite beneficial in the laboratory uh, for, for improving recovery. And then and there are other uh, medications called neuroprotective agents that can also be combined. And there is a trial that was completed uh, with the agent called NONO. Uh, and and that, that uh, there is an indication that uh, you know, trying the drug in a different way could lead to benefit. That first trial was neutral, but another trial is underway called Escape NA2. So I think uh, there is a, a lot of such drugs that are being now tried off in, in conjunction with thrombectomy because it, it has become clear that if you only gave stem cells or only gave uh, neuroprotective drugs without opening the artery, the injury is too massive to overcome uh, with these therapies. So the approach now is to combine uh, reperfusion, as we call it, with thrombectomy, uh, with these the stem cells or, or, or medications. And, and lastly, um, you know, and, and for this audience, uh, the advances in, in, um, in rehab are very much on the horizon for, for uh, stroke recovery. Uh, and again, I don't have an expertise in that uh, area, but I, I certainly see many, um, many new therapies, including using virtual reality and uh, other approaches, get better rehab to patients. Number of um, exciting um, th therapies are on the horizon for, for stroke patients. Thank you, Dr. Yavaga, for your time today. To help our listeners further understand this intervention, it really was a pleasure speaking to you. Listeners, keep following us on ANPT Synapse or Google Podcast or wherever you get your podcast for more episodes. Join us for our next exciting episode where we will have a conversation about the UCPG, about AFOs, in collaboration with the Journal of Neurological Physical Therapy.